Hi, everybody. Win Claybaugh here, and welcome to this Masters podcast. I'm thrilled to have this opportunity. The woman that I have as my guest today is someone who I had heard about for a while, and then somebody said, "Win, take a chance on her." And what I mean by that was, as many of you know, I have my own company with thousands and thousands of people, and so I'm always trying to bring the best of the best, not just the best information and and the most timely information, but also people who can present, people who have a heart and they have compassion and and that makes them a good trainer, that makes them a good mentor and a good leader. And so I brought Janet into my company a, a few times. And all I can tell you is that there's a reason why she's here with us today. Obviously, it was a huge success. And I'm just so honored to be able to have this platform to share Janet's messages and just Janet, the person with all of you. So let me tell you who she is. Janet Williams is a certified CQ and unconscious bias facilitator through the Cultural Intelligence Center. She serves as a member of the Cultural Intelligence Committee with the Unite as One Beauty Industry Think Tank. She is a member of the Professional Beauty Industry Compensation Study Think Tank and a board member with Beauty Changes Lives. She also serves on the Board of Hope in a Box, an incredible nonprofit organization that equips educators with LGBTQ-inclusive books, curriculum, training, and mentorship. By the way, I could read a lot more about who Janet is, but you're going to learn about her. You're going to get to feel her passion for lots of different topics And to get started, I'm going to ask Janet to tell her personal story in a minute. But before we do that, because again, her her personal story, you guys, it is so engaging. And I love storytellers. And Janet is a storyteller. But before we get into her personal story, Janet, you talk about a no shame, no blame approach to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging work. Can you share with us what that means? Oh, sure. When so my company, Progressive Discoveries, our entire reason for existing is to have conversations that matter within organizations. And those conversations are typically about diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. And for a lot of people, those are difficult conversations to have. And I think that part of the reason why the conversations are difficult for people has to do with the fact that we don't have them often enough. So it's just like exercising, exercising a muscle. You know, it's really difficult at first, but the more you do it and over time, the better you get at it. And the same thing is true for conversations around topics such as diversity or inclusion within organizations. So we create a platform and a safe space to be able to have these conversations in a way that help people to evolve their thinking, to grow, to share their perspectives with others, to understand each other a little bit better um, with the hope that the end result is a more cohesive, collaborative working environment and team who is able to accomplish more, do more, and be more effective because they understand each other a little bit more. Well, I like that you mentioned uh, you create a safe place because let's face it, I'm a white man. My life experience and what I need to learn and 
humble myself, become a really good student. I don't have all the answers and I'm going to screw up a lot in this process in the last several years, especially as I learn more, as I ask questions, I feel like, gosh, should I edit myself here? I I need the answer, but how do I ask that without saying the wrong thing? And so I like that you're creating this safe place. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes we are going to say the wrong thing. And that's okay, but we have to be able to create the safety enough such that when the wrong thing gets said, everyone can give each other a little bit of grace. I can say, oh my goodness, that probably came out the wrong way. I'm so sorry. That's not really what I meant. What I meant is X and everyone can appreciate and be a little bit forgiving with each other when we do make those mistakes, because we're not going to always get it right. I've been doing this work for a long time. I get it wrong sometimes, even to this day, but I'll stand up and say, hey, I got that wrong. I'm really sorry. I presented that in the wrong way. That's not what I meant. Please forgive me. And we can all move on from it and learn something and grow from it. So um, providing that opportunity, I think, is a really important thing to do. You, you said something, and then I want to get into your story. You said something that I want to quote you um, as saying, true diversity honors the value and contribution of every person, no matter what distinguishing characteristics they possess. And I love that quote. Oh, thank you. You know, diversity really is about difference, right? And there is no individual who is diverse. It is the combination of different types of people coming from different backgrounds, whether those are, you know, the more obvious identity markers such as race, gender, um, sexual orientation, age, that sort of thing, or if it's about life experience. But when we start to combine different people in one space, we create diversity. So diversity then and understanding it and recognizing it is about understanding that everyone participates in a diverse experience when we start to put lots of different people together in one place. Now, you delivered your first diversity training session back in 1998. So you're right. You have been doing this for a long time. Uh, but again, I love your your personal story of uh, being born in New York City in the mid-60s to, to parents who were part of what you called the great migration. And and I just loved that whole story. So if you don't mind, can we just jump into your personal story? Sure. So, you know, as, as you mentioned, <laughs> uh, it's really, by the way, it's, it's tough sometimes to talk about your personal life and your personal story. For me, I feel as if I'm exposing my soft underbelly by talking about my personal experience and my personal life, but I'm happy to share. And I think that I have had a, a bit of an interesting background and upbringing, but it's not so terribly unique. I think that there are a lot of people who perhaps have a story that's similar to mine. But as you mentioned, I was born in New York City in the mid-60s, and my parents were both from the South, from South Carolina, in fact. And they were part of what is known as historically as the Great Migration that happened between 1915 and 1970, where we saw really thousands, millions of Black people that moved from Jim Crow states, which were highly prohibitive, 
Um, and it was very, very difficult for people who wanted to be able to have just a fair and a life of um, accomplishment and success and to be able to support and take care of their families and to work in fulfilling jobs and all of those types of things. It was very difficult at that time in our history in certain places in the South to be able to do that. And so thousands, I would say millions of Black people moved from those states that were so prohibitive to northern cities. And there was a huge um, movement there. And lots of Black people moved into New York and the New York areas. And so my parents were a part of that. My mother, she was actually born in New York City, but her, her mother died when she was very young. And so she ended up being brought up by her grandparents who lived in South Carolina. And so that's how she ended up growing up there. But my parents were both very ambitious and wanted to create a successful life for themselves and for our family and decided that it would be a better arrangement for them to live in the North. And so that's how we ended up growing up in the city. So I would say that growing up in New York for me was an incredible experience and it was incredible on a lot of different levels because I was exposed to a number of things I think that I perhaps would not have been exposed to had I not grown up in such a diverse and liberal environment. And um, for me, as a young person, I always recognized myself as being someone who was, I guess, a little bit different than my friends. I always felt a little different than them. I always felt that I was kind of like the odd man out in the group. I thought a little bit differently. I felt that I was a little bit weird and I was just kind of a little off center relative to the rest of them. And I wasn't quite sure why. So part of the reason I think that um, that was true for me was because I was interested in a lot of different things. I was really had an insatiable love for books, for people, for culture, and for food. And those things made me different. But also, I recognized that I was queer, that I'm a lesbian, that I liked girls. And that made me a lot different than many of the young kids that I grew up with. Luckily, I was in New York City and I was able to find a community that was accepting of me being different and being a little bit nerdy and a little cool and a little funky and really creative and wanting to have a lot of fun. I was also very lucky in that I was able to, um, although we lived in Queens, which is one of New York's kind of outer boroughs, if you will. But I was lucky enough to be able to attend high school in Manhattan, which for me was a huge commute, two hours each way every day. But it opened up just such a world of amazing opportunities, if you will, around things like art and music and culture and being able to um, find a really interesting queer community down in Greenwich Village every day after school, being able to attend a high school that really encouraged all of the kids to be fully self-expressed and to be themselves and to explore all of the different options that could be available from a career perspective 
all of those experiences helped to shape my way of thinking and also helped me to develop a persona that is able to create an environment where people are welcome, where everyone should have a voice, where coming from a different perspective is perfectly okay and welcomed and accepted. So that's a, a little bit about my story, but that upbringing in New York, coming from the parents that I did, having some of the experiences that I did in those early years has made a huge difference for how I'm showing up in the world today. Obviously, your your personal story has guided you and assisted you in developing uh, curriculums, which we're going to get into some of that. But you got into the beauty industry uh, as the director of a, a beauty school. And I'm, I'm going to quote you. You said, the students and their stories, their lives and their circumstances cracked me wide open. They forced me to go deeper, to look more closely, to listen more carefully, and to open my heart to them in a way that you're not supposed to do in a leadership role. And then you go on to talk about the power of a mission. Can you comment on that? Yes. So, you know, it was really interesting how I ended up in that role and running that particular beauty school, and which was a huge school with a large number of students and tremendously busy. I think we saw a thousand guests a week at that particular school. So it was functioning as a full salon, retail store, spa, the whole deal. But the reason why I was invited to run that school had to do with my professional background in business and in operations. And I really approached the job from that perspective. I wasn't really thinking about the residual pieces that would come from that opportunity for me. But the residual pieces that came from that opportunity ended up being the richness and the beauty of that opportunity. And that was about those students. Those students came to the table, some of them with stories that were so difficult to hear with so many challenges that they had faced in their lives, and they were still able to show up every day for school and make things happen, despite all of the challenges that they were encountering in their personal lives, from homelessness to um, bad personal situations with relationships to problems with their families and um, their romantic partners, all sorts of drama that many of the students were facing were huge challenges. And some of them that I was really not so familiar with. And what I found in that role that was so powerful was that serving as a mentor, being there sometimes as a, a motherly figure, being there as a guiding light, for those students was really what the job was about. It was more about that than it was about making sure that we were meeting the financial mandates of the business. And of course, we did have to do all of those things, but the richness in that job was about the connections that we were able to create and maintain with those students. So, I was able to, to help them quite a bit, but they really helped me to think about 
what compassion really is about, what empathy is about, what love is really about, especially love with people that you don't even know that well, how you can instantly love. Well, as you say that, that the power of a mission. Yes. You know, that's, and, and anybody listening to this, you don't have to be a business leader or a business owner or a manager to take to heart what Janet's sharing with us right now, because every single person, if you're brand new working for a company, you might be at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of title or in terms of how much you're getting paid. So you're just now starting off or you're you're at the very top. However you look at that, what you're sharing applies to, to everybody because everybody has influence. And that's the definition for me. That's the definition of leadership is that you have influence over other people. And you can have influence over people that you work with every single day. You can have influence over total strangers at the grocery store. But my gosh, by applying some of this training that you're going to share with us, in my perspective, what it does, what you do, what your company does is you help to create a safe place. And there are three basic human needs. And the first basic human need is that people need to feel safe. So if that's what we can create within our work environments and everybody listening to this has that responsibility, then absolutely we're going to be more successful. So, so I'd, I'd love to go back to the question that you asked about mission, right? Because how that all ties into that, because the safe space is so important, but the safe space has to be grounded in the purpose of the organization, right? And what, what, do, you, what do you mean by that? Explain that a bit more. What I mean by that is that if we can talk about safe spaces all day long, but if we don't practice that, and if we don't have a foundation that says, no, this really is genuinely who we are. This is really who and what we are about. And then this is how we operationalize it. This is how we demonstrate that we are about creating these spaces where people can bring that all of their whole selves, which is what you were just talking about, that you don't leave parts of yourself um, at the door when you go into work. You have to be able to be fully self-expressed at work. But having those foundations that come from things like your mission, your vision, your values, all of those pieces help to underscore that this is something that you really value in your organization and that this is important for the organization and that this is who we are, right? And by the way, we, we don't get it right every single time. We can say this is who we are and people can come along. Yeah, but I had a bad experience in your facility three weeks ago. And so, you know, you're a fraud. That's not, no. This is who we are. Do we get it right every single time? No. Why? We're human beings. Right. We're not always living into it. And that's the thing. You know, what we can live into it more than we do in a lot of spaces. I mean, so much of the work that we do with progressive discoveries is to to help people remember why are we here? and What are we really all about? And how did we say we were going to live into these values that we have? How did we say we were going to do that? And let's go back to that. Let's revisit it. Let's start talking about it more. Let's re-socialize who we are and what's meaningful for us and what we are about. One thing that I'd love to share is that so much of the work we do is around reinvigorating the sense of purpose that organizations have and really talking about those things. Because I think that 
the power of mission is about living it, is about making it come alive, is about having everybody embrace the spirit of that. But in so many places, it's the mission, the vision, all of those pieces, they serve more like wallpaper than they do like living, breathing um, documents for the organization. You know, someone sat in the room and came up with, this is who we are and what we're about and put it on a poster and then it was hung on a wall. And that's where it stayed, never to be seen or heard from again. But for those places, and this was part of the organization that I talked about before that I ran the school, what was so different about that organization was that we really lived it every day. We talked about that mission every day and we behaved in a way that supported what the mission was talking about. And everybody understood that we didn't always get it 1000% right, but we were pretty close to it a good portion of the time. I like sharing the analogy of training a dog. How many times do you have to say sit? Right. Sit, sit, sit. This is who we are. This is our mission. This is our purpose. Sit, sit, sit. It's over and over and over again. And by the way, especially if we are talking about uh, training the work with diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, we're never going to graduate from that. No, there's never going to come a time where we can say, guess what? We never have to address that topic ever again. All of us got it right. We're, we're good to move beyond that. No, we're never going to graduate. This is who we are. And this is what we will continue to talk about. Sit, sit, sit. So mm-hmm. we might get a little bit more involved in our conversations about it. Hopefully we can evolve to that. But it's an ongoing conversation. It's a never ending conversation. We're never going to graduate from those topics. And so let's jump into this. You talk on what you call your core values. And when we say core values, well, you'll explain that, but you call it care, C-A-R-E. Can you get into that for us? Yes. So, you know, I, I have to say, and I have to say thank you, when for asking me, what do I value and what is important to me? Because here's the deal. I'm, I'm so good at talking to people in organizations about what they value and trying to draw that out for them and trying to help them to operationalize what's important in their organization and how they'd like to see that live. I'm really great at drawing that out to the extent that I wasn't taking the time to really sit down and think about, for my company, what is it that we really value? And I started to think about this and what we really value is showing care for others and for ourselves and for each other within the organization and for people outside of the organization. So what CARE stands for, the C is about courage, first and foremost, because in having these conversations around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, especially those conversations that are related to diversity as it pertains to things like people's difference you know, when it comes to things like race or sexual orientation or ability status. Those are tough conversations for people. And some folks are immovable objects when it comes to those subjects. And they shut down or they get defensive or they might get angry or things might get a little bit loud. So when it comes to having a conversation around those topics, it can be exhausting. 
but it does take courage to work through it, to take on those tough challenges and to stick with it until we can get to a place where we can come to a solution, a decision, a path forward, whatever it is, all of that takes some courage to get there. So that is number one for us uh, in terms of a value is having that courage to take that on. I like that you're using that word courage, because as everybody listening to this knows, courage means that we have the fear, but we do it anyway. anyway. We don't avoy the conversations. And you say that the only thing that you can rely on is the courage to say the thing that no one wants to address. And yes, that's scary. That's painful. That's difficult. As you say, that's sticky. Sticky. Mm -hmm. I like that word. That's sticky. It's messy. It is. It gets. It's sticky. But here's the thing. So you go through the. You walk through the little sticky pathway there, and then it starts to smooth out because all those things that everyone was afraid of—that big elephant in the room—that no one wanted to address. Once it's addressed, it's not so big anymore, and then we can start working through it. So courage is the first part of this. Okay. So the C in care is courage. What's courage. the A? So the A is about abundance. And, you know, there's a lot to that, but there's this concept um, in um, getting to, yes, negotiating agreement without giving in from the Harvard Project on Negotiation. And I used to spend a lot of time training that to organizations in my in the first version of my consulting life way back when. But there's a concept there that talks about expanding the pie. In other words, trying to create more out of a situation so that there is enough for everyone. But I think that this concept applies to a lot of things in life. Although we may think that when we share something with someone, when we give something to someone else, it takes something away from us. I really do believe that the opposite. I believe that there is enough of everything to go around. And that life is not a zero-sum game. And when we're looking at what happens in organizations, when we start to work together and we start to talk things through, we find that there is more than enough for everyone to really get what they need. Sometimes we have to be really creative about how what that looks like and how that happens. But there usually is more than enough. We just have to think about things a lot differently. And the only way we're able to do that is through having that conversation. The other part of abundance for me is about practicing generosity, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm being generous with money, but sometimes personally I am. I give to different causes. I support a lot of different things. But it's also about having this generosity of spirit, of mindset, of openness, of willingness to share things with other people, of not holding things so close to the vest. You know, if I know something that I know can help you, I want to give it to you. I'm going to share that with you. Um, And if you have an experience that you see could easily help me, I would love for you to share it with me. That's what abundance is about. And I think that the more of that kind of mindset that we have, the better our relationships become and the better the experiences we are able to provide, even in work environments, for sure. So that's abundance. I want to I ask you a question about abundance and, and how we can put that into practice, because I don't think there's anybody listening to this that wouldn't 
say that they do not believe in the law of attraction, that what goes around comes around, that the, you know, karma is real. I think everything happens for a reason. And, and that could be a mantra that the universe is set up for my good. The the universe is set up so that all of us win, that there's that, that pie uh, is available, that, that everybody can get a piece of that pie. But let me, if we were to take that one concept or that practice of abundance and apply it within this training of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, what would that practice look like? So maybe somebody listening to this is feeling, okay, I, I hear what she's saying, but man, I need to work on this one. This is where I struggle, especially when we're thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. How would you give them some practical, this is what you need to do advice so that they can grow mm-hmm. beyond this. So, okay. So inclusion, it probably ends up being the conversation that I have. That's the richest one in organizations ongoingly, right? How do you create this environment? Because, you know, let's face it, diversity is an, in a lot of ways is a numbers game. We can look at how many and how we're representing different types of people in the organization, and we can put lots of systems in place to make sure that representation in our organization reflects what we believe as an organization. But when it comes to other pieces like inclusion and equity also, then those get a little bit trickier in terms of how they show up. Abundance is really applicable in those situations. And here are some of the reasons why and how it gets addressed. For instance, the conversation about inclusion has a lot to do with people feeling as if they have an opportunity for not just advancement, because I think sometimes we're just thinking about promotions. We're not necessarily thinking about some of the other things that people might need. People want to feel that they have opportunities to be represented in various ways, that they have a share of voice in the organization, that they are able to participate in the same way that others have been allowed to participate, you know, that they get to say something in a meeting even. So in terms of abundance, there's lots of ways that you can look at what do people really need to feel like they are included and that they belong to this organization. And sometimes the only way you know the answer to that is by asking them. And a lot of organizations just don't take the time to take that extra step to ask people, what would make you feel more included here, right? And the answers that people give you are typically not things like, I need to be promoted up three levels. That's typically not the answer you receive. The answer you receive is typically more simple than that. It's usually something along the lines of, well, when it's time for a special project, the same group of people get asked to participate in this special project, and I never get asked. I would love an opportunity to take the lead on a special project. I would love the opportunity to represent the company at the next you know, open forum or to do something that really allows me to show my contribution and my care for the company. But I only see that certain people get to do that. So those are all ways that we can demonstrate abundance. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. People want their voice to be heard. Absolutely. And and I like what you're saying, because you always tell business leaders that uh, you need to find what motivates your team. 
you know, enter their world and find what motivates them rather than assuming that what motivates you as the boss uh, is also going to motivate them. And, and they always respond with, well, how do I find that out? Uh, you ask them. <laughs> right. And I don't quite understand the reluctance to ask. I think that, again, it's just like having these difficult conversations where people feel as if they're going to be shamed and blamed, that they don't ask because they are afraid that they're not going to be able to address the answer or that the answer is always going to be about money and people wanting more money or wanting more status. But I'll have to say to you that I do a lot of assessment work in organizations and ask people, Again, what are they looking for and what do they want and what would make them feel more secure and more safe and more included and a better sense of belonging? And almost always the answer is not related to money or status. It's always related to how people are interacting with them and how they are able to demonstrate their contribution to the organization or how they're able to perhaps do a little bit more and be recognized for those things. See, that's a great point because again, what, what might motivate the owner of the company, first of all, they have to pay the bills because yeah. their, their, their name is on the bank loan. Their name is on the lease, not the employee. And so, yeah, what motivates them is we got to increase revenues and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. That's how we have power and influence and can make a difference in the lives of our family members and in our community by being philanthropic. So yes, we have to be profitable. So money is a great motivator and there's, there's no shame in that. But if we're talking about abundance and I am the lowest person in this company, I don't mean that there's anything wrong with this. I'm brand new working for this company, but I have power. And I can create abundance within my organization by making sure that other people are heard as well. That the, yeah. the pie isn't just available for me. I can go around the room. So I'm, I'm asking people, because this is what I'm learning from Janet today. I'm asking that you look at your entire team, the people that you work with or your circle of friends or wherever you play, and that you go around the room, so to speak. You go around the room is like, give people the opportunity. What do you think? What are your thoughts on this? Teach us, educate, where are you coming from? That is what creates abundance. Is that what I hear you saying? Absolutely. So going on with your core values of care, uh, the C is courage, the A is abundance. What's the R stand for? The R is about resilience. It is about being able to take that lump and then keep it moving. You know, you take the lump, well, and what I like to say is you take the lump and the lesson. Right. Because and no matter what it is that we do, whether we're, you know, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, there's going to be lumps and there are going to be things that happen that don't go the way that we want them to go. And there will be failures and disappointments and heartbreak and all of those things. But the question is, what do we do when those things occur? What happens when that happens? How do we deal with that? And how do we brush ourselves off? So for me, being able to bounce back, to take that lump and learn the lesson and then move forward to utilize um, nurturing for myself and for others is really, really important to being able to move forward. Resilience is everything. And the, the fourth letter in care is the E and for me, someone that has such a strong learning and development background and all of that, the E is about education. 
It's about education. It's about learning. It's about growth. For me personally, my mantra is around keeping my saw sharp and making sure that I stay abreast of what the changes in the world of work and just the world in general look like and how that impacts people and what influence it all has. I am always in a learning mode. You know, I consume a lot of material, lots of books, lot, just so much information. And I feel that my purpose in life is around sharing that knowledge, that information, that learning and keeping it current and encouraging folks in organizations to always find new ways of addressing old problems. And you, you're doing that through learning. So that's what the E in care is about. Well, I have a, a company that's based on education, so I, uh-huh. I obviously love what you're sharing right now. When you Back when you were talking about maybe people don't ask what their people think and feel or, or what would create abundance for them is, is that fear that, well, they're going to ask for more money and, and the company can't provide that right now. And you said, no, that's, people aren't always motivated by money, that they are also motivated by as we said, making sure that they are heard, that their voice matters, that people show up for them, that they feel safe. But I also have learned that education is a huge, huge, big motivator. Maybe it's not giving me a $500 bonus that's going to motivate me. Maybe it's that I get the opportunity to attend a training that's going to help me be a better leader, a better mentor, a better husband, a better parent. And that is a, a huge, big value to me being a part of this company, me being a part of this group, this organization. Within my company, we created what we call guiding principles. And it's all about creating the ultimate learning experience for all of us. Yeah. And there, there are 10 guiding principles. And so when you talk about why this is important to you and, and that you're building a strong mind and body through self-nurture and, and care and that education is a big part of this. I think for every company to have that commitment, to have that investment in, we need to learn. We need to collectively as a team, we got to educate ourselves so that we can get better, better at home, better in our personal lives, which means that the company thrives because of that. Absolutely. And, you know, and here's the thing, and I've seen it happen over and over again, that we sometimes get stuck in the conversation that I'm in with a lot of my clients right now is around fighting the urge to search for a single answer, right? Say say that again. Fighting the urge to search for just a single answer. In other words, thinking that, hey, this is the way that we've always done it. And the way that we've solved this problem in the past has been to do this particular thing and having that be our mindset around how to address these problems. Again, around things like you know, the lack of abundance for as an example. But if we're able to recognize that, hey, there might be many different ways that we can approach this problem and many multiple solutions that we can employ, then we probably would be a lot better off. And being open to learning new ways of looking at things, learning new ways of um, expanding our perspectives and horizons is going to help us to solve problems in a better way. It's going to help us to make better decisions that are going to be more durable and that will help people in a better way. So that education piece is so critical 
um, that we're constantly looking at new ways of doing things, that we are iterating our current processes and finding ways to continuously improve them and to learn new ways of doing them. To wrap up your conversation on on your core values of care, C-A-R-E, you said that all of this is wrapped in integrity and grace. What do you mean by that? Oh, well, integrity is about doing what's right, right? And being one with what I say I'm going to do. And it seems so simple, but I'll, I'll tell you, after all of these years of living, when what I recognize is that there are lots of folks out there who, although may mean very well, may not necessarily be one with their word. You know, they might say that you can count on me to do whatever it is or to show up or to be there and this sort of thing. And then they don't follow through. For me, that is the number one principle that I have for myself is that if I've made a commitment to you, if I made a promise to you, if I've said that I'm going to show up in some whatever capacity that gosh darn it, that's what's going to happen unless there is something that was unavoidable that prevented it from happening. And if that's the case, I'm certainly going to share that information with you. So just telling the truth, demonstrating that I am trustworthy, you can count on me. If I made this promise to you, you don't have to worry that it's not going to happen. Really, really important value that I have for myself and that with the people that are in my orbit and that work within and help within my organization, I'm expecting that same value and quality that's coming from them. And then grace, you know, everything, all of this is wrapped in grace. And that for me, that's about being kind to others and just giving people the space to be human, you know, recognizing again, we're not going to always get it right. Sometimes we're going to say the wrong thing. Sometimes we're going to make some awful mistake and things are not going to always go perfectly. And what do we do when that happens? You know, we have the resilience, we are kind, we talk about things, we work through them and we get to the other side. So like, um, isn't, isn't that the point, you know, that, that we are going to make mistakes, you know, like, again, yeah. a celebrity says the wrong thing and we want to cancel them forever. We want to say we, not only should they never have a, another hit movie, but the 200 people who work for them should also all lose their jobs as well. Is, I mean, isn't that the point that we can make our mistakes, that we learn from it, we apologize for it? And then we move on. But there are people who made the mistake 10 years ago and we still cannot forgive yeah. them. And I feel like if, if we're not forgiving them, who else are we not forgiving ourselves? That's right. Well, there's a lot of judgment there. And then, you know, I, I really try to stay away from that. And it's something that you have to consciously work on. You know, I catch myself all the time. Where are you right now in response to this situation? You know, are you judging these folks or are you really trying to give them the grace that they probably grace. deserve? God, you know, I love it, that word. I love yeah, that word. Grace. I love yeah, that word. So, it, but it takes work and it takes conscious work that you are thinking about that all the time, giving people the grace and the space to, to be human and to make that mistake. And rapid integrity. Yeah, we have to talk about it, though. <laughs> I have a couple of other questions, if you don't mind. The goal for Board of Hope in a Box, what, what is that all about? So Hope in a Box is a really incredible organization that provides boxes of LGBTQIA plus friendly 
um, reading materials to that meet students at whatever age and stage they may be in. And the purpose of the organization is to distribute these books to school districts or schools who have an expressed an interest in having them. And that may exist in areas where the materials or support for young people who are exploring their queerness for the to, to just shorten, they don't have a lot of resources. And so it really, and, and the books that so we just sent out, the organization just sent out 250 boxes of books to start off the year. And the books start from books that are affirming that are for elementary school level children all the way through to high school, the more advanced reader population. But those books are available and there's some curriculum and resources to help teachers to be able to navigate some difficult conversations or questions that the students may have. And um, it, again, is just a way that students can have access to materials that reflect who they are and how they're expressing themselves. What we're hearing from teachers all over the country, especially in places where there are book bans and all sorts of prohibitive measures that are in place to try to prevent educational materials from being available. I mean, I understand as someone who came out at a very young age what it's like to be in environments where there is no one else who's like you or that you know of who's like you. There's no one else that you feel comfortable or safe talking to about who you are and how different you might feel and how negative that can be for a lot of kids. I was lucky in growing up in New York City and having lots of resources that were available to me. But I'm going to tell you that most people that I encounter in my age group, when they talk to me about what was available to them when they were growing up, their story is a lot different than mine. And they did not have experiences or people or resources that were available to help affirm who they are just as human beings, as people. And so Hope in a Box really is that beacon of light there to help those students who might be struggling with their identity. And the other piece that's important and worth noting around Hope in a Box is that what teachers are reporting is that they're seeing a lot more kids that are identifying as members of the LGBTQIA community in one way or another. And they are so grateful to be able to have resources that um, they can share with those students. But then there are other students who are heterosexual students who also benefit from having those materials available to them because it gives them an opportunity to learn more about people who might be a little bit different than they are. And, you know, and that's really, again, what diversity is about, right? Recognizing that there are people who are different than us who might think differently than we do. It's not a good or a bad thing. It just is. It's just different. And it's okay to have that difference. So that's a little bit about what Hope in a Box is looking to do and is continuing to do. And I'm I'm very proud to be a part of that organization and to support that work. Congratulations, because to not provide hope, which I think is a wonderful commodity that is in short supply, hope, to not provide hope can be life-threatening, truly life-threatening. 
I like what you say that true diversity honors the value and contribution of every person, no matter what distinguishing characteristics they possess. That's, that's right. That's a powerful thing. If we're leaving anybody out, you better believe that's going to threaten the entire group. Then nobody is safe. That's right. And you said something at the beginning when you you spoke of yourself as, you know, you said, well, as a white man. And I appreciate that you said that because I think that part of the issue that we face today is that white men, for example, might feel as if when there's a conversation that's taking place about diversity, that it doesn't apply to them. And what we really do know and really believe at Progressive Discoveries, and certainly there are plenty of other practitioners who feel the same way, of course, white men are included in a conversation about diversity. Everyone is. Because again, what creates diversity is putting lots of people from different perspectives, backgrounds, identity markers together in a space. So it applies to everyone. You know, as we wrap this up and we're we're going to be releasing this interview February the 1st of 2023, which is as we enter Black History Month. And I know that this is a very, maybe even unfair loaded question, but how can the organizations make Black History Month meaningful for all employees? And I know that that's a, we could go on for another eight hours on that topic and still not even scratch the surface. So what can sh- you share with us? So the first, thank you for the question. And, and and I would say that the first answer about how to make such an important month of the year meaningful for the employees is to ask them what would be meaningful for them. Wow. But the other piece would be to recognize that this is an opportunity to continue to create more positivity and more Black history, if you will. I look at Black History Month as an opportunity to celebrate iconic Black individuals in our long history in this country, but it's also a chance for us to serve others, to share stories, to find ways to Um, pay it forward, to recognize contributions, and to ask each other, how can we contribute more? You know, I I look at Black History Month as an opportunity to perhaps mentor someone who was was in the Black community who might benefit from some of the life experiences that I've had or the professional experiences that I have, and to share that information with them, to share what I know about history overall, but also about my own personal Black history and and really harvest the richness in those types of stories. So there are lots of things that organizations can do. I don't think, I was just having this conversation with an organization in the beauty space um, just this week, and they were asking me a similar question. And I shared with them, I said, you know, I don't think that as an organization, it really is your place to provide Black history education. That's not the business that you're in, but it is your place to provide a space for people to be able to share their stories and experiences if they'd like to. And, you know, just because someone works in your organization happens to be Black, it doesn't make them an expert in Black history either. So as you're looking at, you know, if you're wanting to do something that highlights contributions that have been made by 
um, iconic folks in Black history, making sure that you are asking people who want to participate in that or who want to share information to share it would be one thing, but to insist that people are doing that just because they happen to be Black would be a mistake. So it starts with asking folks what they would like to see. Well, Jenna, I, I love that I've had this chance to bring you onto my platform, onto my stage, so to speak. And I want to do more of that because I, I love your message, but I also love your humility and your approach to this. You, you do come from that place of helping people feel safe, you know, where they're not shamed in their, their lack of knowledge or the lack of experience or how they have showed up or not showed up in the past. And that just makes it easier to learn from you. So thank you for that. Do you have a final message for our listeners? I think that the final message would be around recognizing that people are unique as individuals, but then there are lots of things that unite us and bring us together. And the needs that people have within groups are fairly universal, right? People need to feel a sense of place. They need to feel that they are able to make a contribution in a safe way and in an affirming way. They need to feel as if they are making progress and that they are able to develop and all of those types of things. They need to feel as if they can be in a space where there is compassion and learning and understanding. And I think that once we start thinking more along those lines in terms of how we are running our businesses and even our relationships with people, we'll see more sustaining success. I love that. And if I could say just one last little thing, which I've been thinking about throughout this entire conversation, and this is about this concept of maturity, and I'll do it very quickly, right? But when we are very, very young, we are very dependent on, you know, all of the people that take care of us and helping us grow and providing us with uh, places to live and food to eat and that sort of thing. And then as we grow older, we're in the teenage years and in our 20s, and we are concerned about being independent, like wanting to do things for ourselves, make our own money, make our own decisions. You know, I have a niece right now who's 22 and she just wants to do it all on her own and feels like, you know, she really wants to grab life by the horns. But then there's this whole concept of what happens as you mature and what's really important there. And these would be my parting words is is around recognizing the importance of interdependence, that we can't exist in a vacuum. It's great being independent and trying to do everything yourself, but you can't. What really makes life rich and meaningful is the fact that we have to work together. We have to be interdependent with each other. We have to rely on each other. We have to be able to trust each other. And thinking more along those lines and ways in which we can make that happen also creates a much richer experience for everyone. That is beautiful. I can add nothing to that. (laughs) Janet, thank you so, so much. People are going to highly benefit from this beautiful interview and your wonderful wisdom. So thank you. I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you. I'm very grateful to you and I admire you so much, Wen. Thank you so much for inviting me here. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, sweetheart.